0: Hi, this is Mark Raven. Welcome to episode two of Kata Cast. In this episode, it is the first part of a presentation that Mike Rother gave in Quebec in 2015. It's titled The Challenge of Developing Lean Management. And in this episode, it's the first part of his talk that introduces kata and focuses on the scientific thinking pattern. In episode three, it's going to be the second half of Mike's. Presentation that looks at and talks about deliberate practice or kata. So, if you'd like to see the entire presentation, um, the whole thing with his slides, with video of Mike, you can go. Uh, there'll be a forwarding URL. If you go to www.leanblog.org/kata2, that's going to forward you directly to the YouTube page for the presentation. Now, if you'd like to learn more, if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast series you can go to leanblog.org slash katacast. Thanks for listening. Here's Mike Rother.
1: I'd like to talk a little bit about some things we've learned about lean um, over the last 25 years or so. Uh, But before I do, let me make a few comments. The first comment I want to make is that the slides I'm using here are available to you and you're free to use them. They're just copyrighted under a Creative Commons copyright, and I think the conference organizers will provide the slides in PowerPoint format so you can change them or whatever, but please feel free to use the slides if you'd like. Um, So I want to briefly comment about trying to learn new things, trying to adopt new ways, and I'm just going to read it off this slide. Hoping to create different behavior by explaining or trying to convince people doesn't really work. It may be correct explanation, but it doesn 't really change our thinking it doesn 't really change our behavior we don 't behave a certain way because we lack information. We behave one way or another because it 's a habit it 's a habit in our brain, right uh, What can work is deliberately practicing a different routine which over time begins to change uh, how you think Now When you do that, at the beginning you start with basic small routines. You wouldn't try to run 20 miles or 20 kilometers on your first workout. So you begin with small routines that I like to call starter kata or starter practice routines that help you learn some fundamentals and build some initial confidence in whatever it is you're trying to learn. The learner has to develop a little confidence. And that's what kata are. So I just want to say right off the bat that's all that kata are. They are practice routines that help us Uh, make it easier to adopt new ways of thinking and acting. That's really all they are. So, here's what we're doing really. Uh, Just to summarize, I'll I'll make the uh, conclusion at the beginning. Um, We're taking a scientific thinking pattern and there are several of them out there. Uh, We call that pattern the improvement kata, but again, you can call it something else. We're taking a scientific thinking pattern and we're combining it with routines of deliberate practice. Scientific thinking is not new. A deliberate practice is not new, but bringing those two together is somewhat unique. And that's what we're all all about with the improvement kata and the coaching kata, so that we try to make scientific thinking a skill that can be practiced and learned by anyone. Okay. Now I'll begin the actual presentation. Um, So, Sylvain, you already presented this slide, I believe, uh, with the two research questions. The Toyota Kata research took place from 2004 to 2009, and it basically addressed two questions. Mm -hmm. What are the unseen managerial routines and thinking that lie behind Toyota's success with continuous improvement and adaptation? We knew Toyota was doing something different. We knew it was in their management system, but that's invisible, so we had to kind of figure out what is it they're doing that's different, that that makes them so continuously improving, like the comment at the beginning, uh, which was said we need to go from projects to kind of daily or sustained improvement. The second question is actually maybe the more interesting question. How can other organizations develop similar routines and thinking in, in their organization, in their companies? That's a difficult question. Question number two is where I'm spending all my time now. But let's begin by looking at question number one. What are the unseen routines at Toyota? And if you study Toyota's management system long enough, a kind of a pattern starts to emerge. And and I'm I'm a little bit slow. Uh, And and I learned that uh, the, the most intelligent people are not the best researchers because they think they know the answer right away. What you need is someone like me who's a little bit slow, who has to look again, look again, look again, and study some more. And eventually, because of our persistence, you start to see patterns. And sure enough, if you look at Toyota long enough, you'll see a common pattern emerge. It's different from person to person, it's different from facility to facility, but overall the basic pattern is the same and it looks something like this. And you've already seen this this morning, so I won't uh, dwell on it. Uh, you know, they, There's an overall direction or challenge, something big they're going for. Number two, then they try very hard to understand where are we right now? in this particular area, our team or our process. Then they define where do we wanna be next? Where do we wanna be in two weeks? Where do we wanna be in three months? Something like that. And then as you already know, the fourth step of the improvement kata pattern, they conduct experiments or PDCA cycles toward that next target condition. Um, This is just a model. When you do research, uh, you observe a phenomenon and you create a model to represent uh, what you're observing. And that's all that is. Uh, and, And George Box, a famous statistician, said, all models are wrong, that includes this one, because they don't actually, it's not reality. The map is not the territory. This model is not the reality, it is a depiction of reality. All models are wrong, some are useful. And there are many other models that are very similar to this. It's kind of interesting if you look at systems thinking, critical thinking, learning organization, design thinking, creative thinking, solution-focused practice, preferred futuring, skills of inquiry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They all use a similar kind of pattern. It's a human scientific or human entrepreneurial pattern. And that's kind of cool to find out that what Toyota is doing is really something that that is out there, has been out there for a while. Finding commonality between Toyota's management approach and models of human creative endeavor makes perfect sense. So what Toyota's managers are doing in their daily work is having people practice a universal skill for improving, adapting, and innovating along those dark paths, those uncharted paths that Sylvain talked about. Uh, Toyota's management approach involves teaching everyone in the organization a scientific way of thinking which can be applied to an infinite number of situations, an infinite number of goals. So basically they're teaching a deliberate, effective, shared way of working in their organization and trying to make that an automatic habit in everyone in the organization. So that's kind of the Toyota Kata research. Let's talk a little bit about scientific thinking. So improvement based on eliminating waste, as Sylvain has pointed out, uh, is just too unscientific. This diagram, by the way, and there are many like them on the internet, it's kind of funny. you see what it says, it says eliminate waste, uh, identify waste, develop countermeasures, check it, verify, um, what does it say here? Measure the results, establish the new standards, celebrate the success, there's the pizza party. Uh, do it again, and we go around and around. It's a very common conception about continuous improvement or lean, but it's wrong. It's not what Toyota's doing. And and you can see in the picture it's kind of random. At, At Toyota, eliminating waste is more of an outcome of something they're working on. So they talk about eliminating waste, but really they're shooting for a particular goal. They work very hard, they experiment to reach that goal, and then when they look back, they say, look at all the waste we eliminated. But they didn't at the beginning say, let's eliminate waste. They said, we need to get to this goal, which is maybe more efficient. So we've taken kind of an outcome of their process and made it our process, right? And it's a bit of an error, I think. So so if you ask five people what to improve, you'll get at least five different answers, each according to their particular perspective, beliefs, and bias. and there's just too much time in the day. Um, we have to serve patients. We have all these, oper- all these things that we can improve, and this person thinks we should do these, and this person thinks we should do these, but there's so little time in the day, we really need to focus on what's important for getting to the next objective that we have. Um, otherwise, we, we waste the limited capability, the limited capacity uh, we have for making improvements. Okay, so you need a target condition, or one needs a target condition. That's a terminology I like to use. So, uh, in other words, you can now distinguish between the things we have to do to get to our goal, and you can't see all of them yet when you start out, of course, and there are things you can do but you don't really need to do. And it was actually a a high-level Toyota person who said to me uh, early on, he said, you Americans are always talking about what can we improve, and he said, inside Toyota, we don't ask that question. We don't ask, what can we improve? We ask the question, what do we need to improve? And to be able to answer that question, you first have to have a target condition. You first have to have a goal. Now, having a target condition takes a little bit of analysis and planning. And you can see in the upper left-hand corner here, so to, to be able to establish this next target condition, uh, you need to understand what's the overall direction or goal? Where are we trying to go, Right? And then you have to understand where you are to be able to set the next target condition. You can't set goals randomly. You first have to understand where you are. A goal has to be meaningful to the people who are working there and appropriate for where you're working on. All right, so we understand the direction. We've grasped the current condition. We've established a target condition. We're ready to improve in a a systematic focused way instead of randomly. So now we can get going, right? We know the direction, we know where we are, we have our target condition, it's time to make a plan. Well, not quite, unfortunately. Uh, Let's try a little experiment to see why just making an action plan uh, won't work. Can I give you this die? So so I'm gonna ask Sylvain to roll the dice, it's one die. Uh, We're gonna roll it three times and we're gonna add up the numbers. Uh, But before we do that, Um, And so the sum will be a number between 3 and 18, right? But before we do that, I'd like you to take a piece of paper somewhere in front of you and write down the answer to this question, what will be the sum of the three rolls? We'll roll the dice three times. It's going to be a number between 3 and 18. Please answer the question on a sheet of paper, what will be the sum of the three rolls? And I'll give you 20 minutes to... Okay, let's give it a shot. Go ahead and roll the dice. So we got a three. (laughs) Another three. We better not get another three. And a five, all right. So we got a total of 11. How many had 11? Oh wow, so few. Sylvain, I thought you'd choose the audience very carefully. Wow, okay, hmm, hmm, okay. So, those of you who wrote down the wrong number, who didn't write down, those of you who wrote down the wrong number, how do you feel? (laughs) Go ahead, how do you feel? Philip feels bad? He rolled the dice wrong, you chose the right number, okay, so... So maybe it's a little bit like, not so bad. It's a game of chance, who can know? It's, it's a roll of the dice. It's random, right? Okay, okay, fair enough. One doesn't feel too bad about that. Let's try another one. Here's a number series, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12. Uh, let's do the same thing on the same sheet of paper in front of you. Please write down your answer to this question. What will be the next number in this series? In this series, what will be the next number? 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. Okay. The next number is 2. Oh, it it repeats after the 12. It goes around around. Hey. Wow. Remarkable. So those of you who wrote down the wrong number, how do you feel this time? (laughs) <laughs> How do you feel? Tricked? Are there French words? <laughs> I'm not going to try to say that. <laughs> so, so maybe a little more like this, right? Okay, okay. So what was different about the two scenarios? Why does one feel not so bad and the other one, it's kind of like, hey, what's different? So there's an expectation, right? Um, we, think, we, we think we know, it looks like it's gonna be 14, uh, like many other number series, okay. So here's a proposal, it's just an idea, okay, uh, about what may be different between these two scenarios. And I'd like to suggest that a big difference is how easy or hard it is to spot what we call the knowledge threshold. And the knowledge threshold is where we have no more facts and data and we can only guess. It's where the facts and data end, right? So in round one with the dice, it's very easy to see the knowledge threshold. We know, okay, that we're going to roll the dice three times, right? You can see that. But beyond that, we don't know anything. And we know we don't know because it's a roll of the dice. In round two, the knowledge threshold was much more difficult to see. And we thought we know the answer. So we answer, we go through the knowledge threshold. Yet in both rounds, the knowledge threshold is basically about the same. There are no facts and data beyond the initial setup. What would be a good answer in both rounds? Heck if I know, okay. What would be a good answer? Anyone? I don't know, right? Let's see. I love let's try it and see, right? That's a great answer, let's try it and see. So uh, inside Toyota, they don't want you to say you know if you don't know. They want you to say, I don't know. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, life at Toyota is easy. You just say, I don't know. (laughs) (sighs) My contribution today. Um, And and, and what they expect is you can say, I don't know, but then you have to explain how are you going to figure it out. You have to, in almost the same breath, say, okay, I don't know, and here's my experiment, right? Uh, Why don't we say, I don't know? Why don't we say, let's find out? because we're experts, there are many theories about why humans do that. I have one, and I think it's because our brain fills in the blanks. Our brain fills in the blanks. Uh, Now, this is in English, uh, so hopefully it'll work here, but please do me a favor, read out loud what you see. Right, okay, so everybody's probably seen this, but of course, it doesn't say that, right? So, we don't notice the knowledge threshold because our brain automatically fills in the blanks. How many times have you seen something out of the corner of your eye and you thought there's the cat or the dog or something, right? And if you turn to look, it's your jacket or something else, right? It's a very common thing, right? What I find interesting about that is your brain didn't say there's something over there, I don't know what it is, please wait or get more information. What did your brain do instead? Your brain said, the cat, or something like that. It happens every day, right? Notice, we can do this again. What does it say? You can't not see jumping to conclusions. Your brain automatically fills this in without you consciously making that that, uh, step. Now, don't let me give you the wrong impression. We need this cognitive mechanism to survive. We would not be here today if we did not have the ability to make very quick judgments and react based on them. We would, we would not be here. We would not have evolved this far. We probably wouldn't have survived the traffic this morning. Uh, it's a very important mechanism for humans, but it causes some problems. And here's the point. There's always a knowledge threshold. There is always a knowledge threshold. And some key points about it are they're very difficult to see, unless you practice. Unless you practice seeing a knowledge threshold. Now, I'd like to warn you, uh, it's still time to save yourself, but it's too late for me, it's too late for Sylvain, it's too late for Philip. When we sit in a meeting, and it's really fun to talk about things that may be, and, you know, and ignore a knowledge threshold, but we've gotten to the point where you sit in the meeting and you go, guys, we don't know. There's no, no reason for us to be discussing this. We need to discuss our next experiment. It makes you very unpopular in meetings. It's much more fun to sit around, drink coffee, and talk about things. And so they're hard to see. We see further by experimenting, and we never know in advance what the result of an experiment is going to be. So here's a knowledge threshold. See the road? What's, over the, what's on the other side? Well, we can get some croissant and coffee, and have a nice discussion about what might be on the other side of the road. These are terrific meetings, right? Or we can stop and say, we will send Philip ahead to look what's over the, the road, right? The knowledge threshold is the, is the learning edge. That's a, by the way, that's a phrase from social science. Uh, it's the learning edge, it's the place where the next experiment should take place. We all talk about PDCA in the lean community, but there's not a lot of skill yet in doing PDCA, one skill for PDCA is to know where should we experiment? And, and if you can see the knowledge threshold, there's the next experiment. It becomes very easy. So that leads us into the core dynamic of scientific thinking, which is sort of a a coordination between what we think will happen and what really happens, between a theory and between evidence, and then adjusting based on what we learned. I think this diagram captures it very good. Scientific thinking is not all that complicated, and and I think the diagram uh, right there shows it. And we can use this procedure, this this pattern, uh, to find our way through the darkness. Thank you again, Sylvain, for that slide through the darkness to our target condition that we don't know in advance how we will reach. And that's nothing other than the scientific learning cycle. I won't go over that. You know, you make a prediction, uh, uh, you you take action, you try it. Uh, One thing, by the way, that uh, people in the lean community are still struggling with, there's a difference between collecting the evidence and evaluating the evidence. Oftentimes, people will do an experiment and immediately interpret it, but there's a step before that where you say, I'm just looking at the data at this point. So you strive to the target condition through iterative learning, these small, rapid experiments, advance our knowledge quickly. They move us away from what doesn't work toward what does work. So that's kind of the pattern of scientific thinking. Uh, Great. So we now have a great model. It's like a lot of other models, the impruma model in this case. Understand the direction. What's the big goal we're trying to reach? Where are we now? establish the next target condition that's appropriate, based on where we are now, and then do experiments between here and there. Uh, this scientific pattern suits complex, dynamic situations of the type that we are faced with these days, where you can't predict the path in advance. Uh, and B, it makes empowerment possible. We had a lot of talk about empowerment in the late 20th century, and we told teams, you're a self-directed team, you're empowered, please go. But When you just let people be self-directed, it goes off in many different directions. So what you have to do is teach them a way of working so they can be empowered. Otherwise, you just have empty empowerment. So we're ready to go, right? But of course, there is another problem. Again, if
0: you would like to view the entire video that this episode is drawn from. You can get to it by uh, the URL www.leanblog.org slash kata2. Or again, Mike's YouTube channel is 734 Mike. And again, I want to thank Mike for allowing me to share this content in this podcast format. Thanks for listening.